All your base are belong to us. Hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who don't know, we we have in the unedited version of this episode, we were just talking about Adele. Anyway. Um, hello and welcome to Fakey Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy. I'm a writer. And before we started recording this podcast, I choked on my own saliva and I apologize for any raspiness or cough drops that you may hear because I nearly died. I'm a, I'm an online marketer and um, I don't know what to say here. I'm tired. Yeah, I'm tired. Relatable. Yep, yep, yep. Relatable. I'm tired and I watched some things and I read a thing. So, nice. So be prepared. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you want to go first? We have the equal the equal number. I'll go first. Um, I don't remember a whole lot from this movie. Well, that's okay because <laughs> I watched one of these movies a month ago. Yeah. I watched Infinity Pool, which for some reason I kept getting confused with Triangle of Sadness. Not the same. <laughs> I think they're both about rich people. Sure. Um, but this one is by David Cronenberg's son. Brian Cronenberg, yes. I believe. And is it, he a little freak? Does that does the little freak apple fall far from the tree? Yeah, no, it doesn't. It fall, falls right at right at the foot. <laughs> um the I had not really I had like seen trailers for this, but I hadn't actually like watched it. Sure. And my husband was excited to watch it. And it starts off with this guy who's played by Alexander Skarsgard. He takes his girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, who they're not really getting along, on this like tropical trip, um, on this resort, on this island where the locals do not want them, um, to try and get inspiration to write his new book. And they meet a, a couple who is played by Mia Goth and some other other dude, and they strike up a friendship in which Mia Goth wants to fuck Alexander Skarsgård and she does and there's some orgy scenes and um something happens he 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 hits he he does something bad and he gets in trouble by the locals and they're like we could kill you this is major spoilers but it's it's a huge part of it you you get to it pretty quick we could kill you or actually we don't kill you the the firstborn of the firstborn son of the person, they get to kill you. Or you can pay us a shit ton of money, like all the money you have, almost. And we can make a clone of you and that person can die. <laughs> so there's a bunch of rich people who have found out, I can actually do anything I want. Because I have so much money, I can continue to make new people. <laughs> Um, and it, like, it's just a wild ride. Mia Goth is, she's good in everything she does. I swear. I love her so much. Um, she is just really good at playing unhinged people. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, she was amazing in Pearl and X, like, just so good. And she is equally as unhinged in this movie. It, it, it was, I liked it. I did, I did like it a lot. Uh, I think you will like it. Uh, it's fucking weird. Good. Um, and it's about the how horrible rich people are, and I like that. Um, and they deserve everything they got. And it's kind of a sad ending, but like, 
Sorry for grunting in the back. It's fine. <laughs> I needed a good stretch. Um, but yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the Cronenberg tree. The freak uh, apple on the, the Cronenberg tree. The freak apple on the Cronenberg tree. affectionate freak. It's not as freaky, mm-hmm. but... He's uh, got to work up to that. Yeah, know? but I feel like he had the right... I feel like from the very few movies I have watched by Cronenberg... Mr. Cronenberg. Um, Please, Mr. Cronenberg. Senior. Is my Mr. Cronenberg, senior. Uh, he just goes all the way fuck out. Like, he's like, there are no restraints. Probably because he's been doing this a long time. Yeah. His son is like, I know what restraints are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I need them. <laughs> and I think that worked. I think it could have gone a lot weirder. Um, but I think that the way it did go and how far they went was perfect for the movie that he was creating. I think it, there was a lot going on. If, if we would have gone into even more body horror, um, it would have been a lot. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I liked it. If you like fucked up horror like that, like suspense, sci-fi, but not not like in the traditional way of sci-fi, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cronenberg special. The Cronenberg special. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd probably like it. Um, I liked it. It was at times gross there is a good amount of throw up throwing up um but uh yeah i mean it was good i liked it it was just weird Mm -hmm. it was just weird the acting was really good in it um the rich people were fucking awful um there's some wild orgy sex scenes i love movies about rich people being terrible because it's rich people playing rich people yeah it's so so funny well and in the end this is a little bit of a spoiler or i guess a big spoiler they go back home and when they're going back home they turn back into these normal people Mm -hmm. when before they were like for some reason what's coming to my head is terrible people like in midsummer Mm -hmm. in in like not midsummer the movie the the play um, where they're just oh, a midsummer night, yeah, a midsummer night's dream, where they're just like fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just wild. They they're rich people who found out they can do anything they want. There's absolutely no consequences for them, just the people that they create, right? Um, and they sure do go wild. <laughs> they sure do go wild. Um, but yeah, it was good. I think you would like it. Cool. I think Josh would also really like it. Yeah. I read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Which Did you like this book? <laughs> I loved it. I think it's so, like, legitimately so important for a lot of people to read. Now, I do have to give the obligatory disclaimer. A lot of times this book gets talked about as self-help, and it's not. It's not a self-help book. Don't go into it with that mentality. It is not a self-help book. One more time for emphasis. This is not a self-help book. Are you with me? I think so. Okay. It's a little shaky, but. <laughs> the thing is that people approach a lot of nonfiction. Anytime a, a book is about nonfiction and something that relates to them, such as trauma in the case of The Body Keeps the Score, um, people think that it's self-help. It's not. It's a book about trauma. It's about what trauma does to your body and to your brain and how those things are related. And that means that this book quite often tells you very traumatic stories like very horrible things happen to people and people do horrible things and understanding the context is important to understanding the goal of this book so this is not a fun light affirming well it can be affirming but it's it's not a fun and light read that's going to make you feel inspired it's a book that's intended to help you understand the relationship that trauma has with your entire body not because a lot of times we think and i do this too we think of our brain and our body as separate entities. They are the th- the same entity. Like they are the same thing. 
Um, One cannot be without the other. Exactly. And so things that feel like brain problems are also body problems. Like they are the same thing. And so the title of The Body Keeps the Score has to do with the fact that your body has a memory of its own. And it explores the connection between trauma and its impacts on the brain and how that impacts the body. Because if you're not, like, if you don't have, um, like a trauma disorder or something like that, everybody t- has experienced trauma. Like, that's just a, f- that's just a fact. There's nobody on this earth who has never experienced something that could be traumatic. Um, but if you have like a trauma disorder or, um, a mental health condition or something like that, um, the way that your body responds to things is different than somebody who does not. And it's important to understand that like, so for me, I have anxiety more specifically, I have generalized anxiety disorder. And when I experience anxiety, people who don't have anxiety may think, Oh, your thoughts race. And that's true. My thoughts do race, but also my breathing becomes shallow and rapid. My heart begins to race. I get sweaty. I have to pee all the time. Um, Which it is aff- just terrible for you if you're in public. Yeah, it affects my digestive system. Um, like it, it impacts every part of my body, and it's because my the the chemicals that my body is is dealing with inappropriately um, are causing different things to happen in my body. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that, and even people like with mental health conditions don't necessarily understand the relationship between the brain and the physical results of whatever's happening in there. Um, the reason I find this book so powerful is because it is about trauma healing specifically. And the thing is that a lot of people, when talking about mental health, their go-to is you need therapy, which is true, right? Like therapy is, therapy is good for everybody. It doesn't matter if you have like a mental health condition or any kind of disorder or whatever. It doesn't matter if therapy is good for you. The thing is that not all therapy is created equal. People who experience PTSD may or may not benefit from something like cognitive behavioral therapy. You may be taught uh, good coping skills, but it's not as effective as other forms of treatment, which um, the author, Vanderkolk, goes over in this book. Things like um, um, dialectical behavioral, behavioral therapy is one. Um, one that I think is, I've ne- I'd never heard of it before reading this book, and also because my therapist uses it in part, is IFS, or Integrated Family Systems. Um, which is an approach to mental health that treats the self, capital S self, as a number of selves. So there is anxious self, there is angry self, there is depressed self, etc. There's uh, Kristen Bell has a commercial right now. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Basically that. That's so interesting. Um. So, like, the way my therapist explained it to me was to ask, have you seen Inside Out? And I said, yes. And she's like, it's very similar to that. It's not just like that. But um, this approach to family healing involves uh, interacting with, approaching and interacting with these aspects of self as a means to get those selves to work with one another. Um, So it talks about that. It talks about uh, why things, like... This is this is a big point of frustration for me, and I apologize if this is going to bug anybody, but this is a point of frustration for me, is when people are like, oh, yoga, I did yoga and my depression wasn't cured. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. It's still good for you. Um, I did meditation and it didn't help me. I know. It won't fix you. 
but it's genuinely helpful when you do things like um, like practicing meditation. It's not a quick fix. It's not going to cure your depression. Nothing's going to do that. The point of meditation is to get your your brain is doing something and it is immense. Like your your brain is like a runaway train on it. Like it's jump the tracks, right? It's where are tracks? Yeah. Your brain is like off the rails, right? You can't stop it. But what you can do, you know, is put some more tracks down and try to catch it. This is a bad metaphor. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that like things like meditation actually do have proven benefit, not because they're going to cure your mental health problem, but because they are a tool in the tool toolbox for managing the symptoms that come up as a result of a mental health condition. So for like just to return to myself, generalized anxiety disorder, again, it causes racing heartbeat. It causes um, shallow breathing. It causes, you know, stomach issues, all this kinds of stuff. Meditation for me is not a cure for anxiety. I do not no longer have anxiety because I practice meditation. But practicing meditation regularly means I can detect when my body is feeling anxious without me having like anxious thoughts. Like I can suddenly feel my heart racing or I can feel my breath getting shallow. And then I can turn to meditation and the techniques I've learned through meditation to calm it down before it escalates to panic attack status. So I'm not cured, right? Like meditation did not cure me, but it gives me a tool to more effectively manage it rather than letting anxiety run my life. Same with things like exercise, right? If I don't exercise, I feel like shit. It's not going to cure my depression, but if I don't exercise, I'm going to feel worse, you know? And I think this book does a good job of explaining why those things are an important part of healing and not just like, you know, something people toss out as easy answers. Yes, a lot of people who don't experience mental mental illness um, will throw out exercise and yoga as, you know, like cure-alls, Right. Of course, that happens. You know, I don't want to say that that never happens. What I'm saying or is drink that more water. Yeah, what I'm saying is that you do actually have to care for your body. Like you can't, you can't get better because your your body and your brain are the same thing. And I think this book is really, 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 really effective at illustrating that, like from the inside out. Um, I do like again. I want to reiterate that this is a book that is about trauma and therefore it discusses extremely extremely difficult um events like it can it could certainly be triggering my therapist recommended it to me it coincidentally was the next book on my shelf anyway but my therapist recommended it to me and did so while saying you need to read this slowly and take breaks from it which i did not do but i don't know i for whatever reason it didn't it didn't upset me um in the way that it upsets some readers so I don't know what it is about reading, but I can pretty much read anything and not not be super affected by it. Um, but that's me, right? I'm not, not going to say everybody's that way. Um, so this is a fascinating book, and I think it is genuinely important for people to understand um, the relationship between your mind and your body and how profound the impact is, uh, and like how important, like these approaches that feel like they shouldn't work. Like yoga feels like it should do nothing, right? When you think about it, you're like, how can yoga help me get over my anxiety? That doesn't make any sense, right? Like if you just kind of approach it, that doesn't make sense. 
But when you learn about it and you learn about the effectiveness of deliberate movement and about the importance of breathing and like not just breathing, but like deliberate breathing, then you can understand how yoga or other forms of exercise that involve, you you know, dancing is one of them. Um, Tai Chi is another one. I'm trying to think of things that are less um, potentially appropriative. We'll stick with dancing, stretching, mindful stretching. Um, those kinds of things like they are like they can be genuinely helpful because our body and our brain are connected entities. Right. Um, so I highly recommend this book. Like I think it is genuinely so incredible and so good for helping me at least understand the way my body works. But you do need to go into it with the understanding that there is some incredibly difficult subject matter in there with regard to things that people have experienced and I think even further things that people have done to others. Um, it And it asks you not necessarily to have empathy for people who have committed really heinous acts, but to understand that those things are not so, they are not necessarily conscious decisions. Um, so just be aware of that going into it. But if you are interested in mental health, and healing and trauma and how these things like create a relationship between the brain and the body. Um, I can't recommend this book highly enough. Like I think it was, it's so incredible. Um, and it's one of those things where I'm reading it and I'm like, man, if this is so good, why, like if this treatment, this treatment, which sounds bonkers to me, if this treatment is so effective, why isn't everybody doing it? And it turns out it's because it's hard to get studies funded. And like he talks about in it, he had a patient who was like this business guy and he's like, he comes into the appointment and he's very like, I only want the latest scientifically (laughs) demonstrated treatment plan. I don't want any like weird bullshit. And the, his doctor Vander Kolk is essentially like, well, Sorry, but this kind of weird stuff is, in fact, the latest scientifically (laughs) proven most advanced, like stuff like acting. Like he talks about um, theater as a way of healing from trauma. And some of the IFS stuff involves um, like in group therapy, having people play uh, your like if you if you grew up in an abusive situation, having one person play your abusive parent and having somebody else play an idealized version of what you would have liked your parent to do. And that being a genuinely transformative experience, Mm -hmm. even though it doesn't seem like it, like how can you trick your brain like that? Like it doesn't seem right. But the studies that they have managed to get funded demonstrate actually the shit works. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in every case and not to the greatest extent in every case, but more often than not, there's it is demonstrably effective. Um, so yeah, again, highly recommend this book. Do recommend it with the fact that you need to understand that there is some deeply, deeply, deeply potentially triggering um, information, not information, but stories in this book. And you should be prepared for that going in. And if that is a problem for you, I recommend, you know, seeing if you can find uh, some page numbers or something like that for stuff that you need to skip. Um, but overall, I think it's a really, really, really good read. I do very briefly want to address something that has been stuck in my head the entire time, which is I think that I think it was Gretchen Felker Martin on Twitter um, at one point tweeted, let the bodies keep the score. Let the bodies keep the score. And that's been stuck in my head the whole time I've been talking about it. So, Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you shared that tidbit with us. Yeah, that was a really important part of the, the podcast. 
I watched, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, because Missy's like, oh my god, you haven't watched this. I'm like, oh my god, I haven't. And it's watched it. If you are in our Discord, then you know it's Natasha Leone yeah. season. If you're not in our Discord, I recommend it so that you can know that it's Natasha Leone <laughs> season. Um, so this is about uh, a high school girl who is Natasha Leone, and she's a cheerleader, and she is dating like the football star, but she clearly like doesn't like him. <laughs> The kissing is something The kissing else. is weird. Her locker is filled with pictures of girls. Um, and everyone's afraid she's a lesbian. I mean, she's she is. But they're afraid she's a lesbian. So they sent her to gay camp. And not like the fun kind. Um, but camp to make you not gay. Conversion camp. Conversion camp, yes. And um, it's, a pretty, it's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, the the colors in this um in this movie feel like you are watching live action dollhouse mm-hmm. situations um which i thought was really interesting and the characters are so over the top that it's always fun um i don't know what else to say it was it was a good time i had fun we talked about when we were watching it how some people don't like the stereotypes that it may be portraying. It has a negative critical reception yeah. when it came out. It's a cult hit now, but when it came out, it had a very negative cultural uh, critical assessment because it people felt that it was mean-spirited and that it relied too hard on stereotypes of queer people. Now, I'm straight, but <laughs> when I was watching it, I felt like it was deliberately playing on mm-hmm. stereotypes. I 100% agree. Yes, because it was... Leaning real hard into them. (laughs) Like, real hard. The thing that gets me, too, is the idea that it's relying on stereotypes suggests that people don't act like that. And, in fact, some queer people do act like that. Yeah. Like, it is not a less legitimate way to be queer to, for example, to be a more femme gay man. There is literally nothing wrong with that. Whatever culture might tell you, there is literally nothing wrong with that. It is not, there's nothing wrong with being a more mask queer woman. There's nothing wrong with it. Just because society suggests that all queer people are that way, you are not doing the world a disservice by acting in a way that feels right to you, even if that way is stereotypical. I remember this conversation, the first time really hearing it was when Tracer, they said Tracer was yeah. um, gay and Tracer has short hair and people were upset that they're, that Tracer looks like a stereotype yeah. queer person. And then a bunch of people were like, but queer people have that haircut. And it was like her haircut. Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think, I, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it might have been AV, AVB who tweeted, uh, or maybe it was Merrick Kay. It was one of the two, I think. It's not actually woke to be straight. And that's that's how I felt about that debate. It was like so, well, actually, she can't be queer because she has short hair. And it's like, it's a haircut. Yeah. My friends. A rather a popular one. Yeah. Like, queer people can look like anything. And this comes up with Bioware stuff, too, where, like, mm. a lot of the characters that you would read as queer end up being straight and it's like I can't remember if they've said this or if this is something that's been inferred by fandom so please don't 
attribute this to Bioware when I'm not 100% that this is true. But for example, the character Cassandra Pentagast or Cassandra, I can't remember. It's been a while in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, a lot of people interpreted her as queer based on her appearance, but she is straight in the game. You can't romance her as a female character. And it was it is said, whether by fandom or Bioware itself, I didn't look this up before talking about it, that it is because they didn't want her to be a stereotype due to her appearance. Hmm. And it's like, okay, I hear you. But also, queer people can look like anything. <laughs> Some of us look like stereotypes, and there's literally nothing wrong with that. Like, the stereotype itself is not the problem. It's how the stereotype is used. If you yeah. use, for example, if you make every character, every queer character into Jack from Will and Grace, then like, yeah, that's a problem. But it's not people like Jack's problem. It's straight people's problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like when someone says, oh, you don't look gay, though. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean by that? You know? Yeah. They're looking for the stereotype. So I I get where this like knee-jerk reaction comes from of especially like as a straight person, I hate saying the word ally. I really fucking hate it. Like, yeah. I'm an ally, but let's just use that. Sure. The knee-jerk reaction is be like, no, I'll it's not you, a stereotype. I'll give you a pass. I'm bisexual. <laughs> I'm the worst kind of bi- bisexual because I'm a cis white bi woman in a long-term relationship with a with a with a cis man. How dare you? So I'm the I, the worst flavor of bisexual, will pass you an ally card thank you, for thank this. You. I just it's just so overused and it's just I just Yeah, I feel you. It just kind of feels like and anyways, um, the, I feel like the knee-jerk reaction is like, no, they're not all stereotypes. I know plenty of people who aren't like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's playing into exactly what people are doing with the stereotypes that doesn't right. work. Um, and also, like, it's not for me to decide. <laughs> yeah. Also, I want to make just really clear for a second. When I said I was the worst kind of bisexual, that's a uh, tongue-in-cheek joke and not an actual reflection of my feelings about bisexual people, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, I, the only time – sorry – Go ahead. I was just going to say, not everybody is as uh, familiar with my sense of humor yes, about yes, that yes. particular issue as Marius. The only time using ally, I think, is like encouraged and great is that one TikTok sound. Where, like, my name is blah, blah, blah. This is my friends. Blah, blah. They're an ally. They're something like that. Say hi. Ally. That's, <laughs> that one's funny, especially now that they're using it with the shark who bit the girl's arm off. Oh, my she's, God. Um, she came out as transphobe and everyone's like, oh, the shark is an ally. Oh God. The, the, that situation, that works. Um, <laughs> also that that ally, it's very funny. Um, but also like kind of also makes fun of exactly what I don't like about it. It's calling yourself an ally feels like it's giving yourself cookies for something, well, which is the bare minimum. It also feels like, I know we're getting on a tangent, but it also kind of feels like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have to say that. Right. I shouldn't. It should be expected of you. Yeah. I shouldn't have to say that. And I just, it makes me feel weird and it makes me feel like I'm trying too hard and like I'm not. But I, I just, I just hate that word. I know you're an ally, Mary. You don't have to say it. I know. Even just you saying that, I just feel, it feels weird. (laughs) Maybe it's because it's overused. It's because the A in LGBTQIA stands for ally. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're part of the queer community. That's true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) We're being sarcastic Uh, again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, but I'm a cheerleader slaps. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I'm uh, sad I didn't watch it as a teenager. I think that would be fun to do an episode on. Yeah, for sure. I love it. I think it's so good. Yeah. Um, anything else to say about that one? No, it's good. And the 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 visuals are spectacular. Excellent, excellent, excellent. 
Uh, I watched The Menu <laughs> shortly after we talked about it in our last What We've Been Up To, I believe. Um, so it's been a little bit. I really liked The Menu overall. I would say I really enjoyed 85% of the movie. That's pretty good. Um, I did not it's care. Plus. I did not care for the ending. The more I thought about it, really, the less I liked it. And I'll explain why in with as few spoilers as I possibly can. Kay. So The Menu is a movie about um, a group of food snobs who... A variety of food snobs. One of the main character, sort of main character. The main character is played by Anya Taylor Joy. I don't remember her, her name in the movie, unfortunately. But um, she, along with Nicholas Holt, um, are going to this island with this like much beloved restaurant run by Rafe Fiennes. Um, and uh, also there is a movie star, a wealthy couple and tech bros tech bros and a couple of food critics and they this is like a once in a lifetime meal that is a full experience that they're having and nicholas holt is this like foodie guy who is really irritating in a way that made me fall immediately in love with him (laughs) i'm obsessed with him i love him just the worst person just a pathetic sad man and i would die for him um anyway I also just love Nicholas Holt. He, yeah. he he's, he's truly charming. He's literally aging into Hugh Grant, yeah. but something about him, I'm just in love with him. Um, it's from our childhood. We grew up with him. But he sucked so bad as Tony, but he sucked just right. You yeah. know, you know, he just he sucked so right. Um, that sounds like I'm saying something else, but it's <laughs> not what I, I no. He notoriously sucked poorly. That's true. That is canonically. True. Yes, <laughs> he sucked poorly. Um, anyway. Sorry for being lewd. Um, so they go to this restaurant and it quickly becomes clear that uh, something about this whole thing is off. Um, and I uh, like we didn't spoil it, I don't think, in the last episode, except to say that they weren't eating people. Yeah, um, which I thought was what it was. Yeah, yeah. And I think it wanted to lead you that way. Yeah, uh, that's not what's going on. It's, it's, it's more interesting than that. I overall, like I said, really enjoyed the movie. I think it is beautifully designed. I think it's really well executed overall. I liked the like, um, it's very biting. Like it's, it doesn't pull any punches. And I liked that. The thing I don't like about it is that it has an almost anti-intellectualist bent that really frustrates me. Because the implication with the people that have been gathered on this island is that they don't actually care about the art, but because the only counterpoint to that is the consumption of what we will call for the sake of argument and not something I actually believe. The only counterpoint to these people who are obsessed with this like beautiful art but aren't actually consuming it as art is essentially consuming low art. You know what I mean? You've seen the movie, so I'm just hoping that... I'm trying to say this without spoiling it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. The only thing that will save you from this hellscape is the consumption of low art, literally. Um, And Hmm. I think there's something interesting here with regard to the fact that the people who are attending this restaurant of their own volition are doing so because they are doing so for appearances, not for the joy of the experience, right? I think that that is one clear thing that you can say about it. The thing that doesn't work for me is that 
the counterpoint has to be the consumption of this other thing that is um, considered low class, as if the low class thing is the antidote. Yeah, I didn't. I'm trying to talk around it yeah. without spoiling. Um, now, I think there's a reading of this that is that is about the creation of art from a place of love and the enjoyment of art from a place of love versus a more cynical appreciation of art for the sake of having appreciated the art versus uh, appreciating a thing because it is easily consumable. This is so fucking hard to talk about. With, yeah. I'm just going to have to spoil it. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just fast forward a I bit. I also think that there's a there's there's a lot in this movie that, and I think it can go a lot of ways. Yeah. Fast forward a bit if you don't want the ending spoiled for you. I'm not going to spoil everything. I just want to when it's I'm talking too hard about to talk about. When I'm talking about consuming art, it is impossible for me to talk about this without spoiling exactly what I'm talking about being consumed. So, fast Excuse me. Fast forward a bit if you don't want the menu spoiled for you. Okay. So they're eating all this fancy fucking food and it's very overwrought fancy food. Like they have a bread course without bread. Like yeah. it's it's silly and playful. Now, I would go to a restaurant that did this because I find art that is frustrating to sometimes be really fun and interesting and thought provoking. I'm into it. I would go to the breadless bread restaurant. But do you think that he was doing that or do you think that he was doing what Anna Taylor Joy's character said and making fun of them? I think it's both. And I don't okay. think there's anything wrong with okay. either of those approaches. The thing that irritated me about the movie is that it is the movie seems to suggest the virtuousness comes from eating a cheeseburger. Like, and there's there's ways to read that because the cheeseburger is the first thing that the chef has prepared with love and care, right? If we can say he does that, which I don't know if he does. He seems like kind of a shit person. Yeah. Um, and she gets to leave. Well, nobody else does because she chooses to ask for a cheeseburger. But they also have the the part in when they ask if the assistant asks if she can leave, and he said, "Did you go to school? She went to Brown. Do you have Do you have um, student loans? Uh, no, you die." Yeah. So I think there's a lot. I think there's so many ways to look at this. This. Yeah. But I see what you're saying with the low art and the anti intellectuals especially since that's a theme that seems to be pervasive in a lot of things happening today. The thing that really gets me and the reason that I started turning a little bit sour on it was the inclusion of the critics because mm. the cri they, they blame he blames the critic for getting a restaurant shut down. That's not how food criticism works. <laughs> Most people don't read food reviews. This is true. Most, like if your restaurant failed, it is probably not due to a scathing review for like food and wine magazine i guess you could you could make the argument and i don't know if this is what i don't think this is what the director is doing but i guess you could you could make the argument of that shows just how bad that the chef is yeah and it's so vain that think they think there's no other way mm -hmm. that, that can go down but the the critics were fucking terrible they were and i think that the um the chef is definitely painted in the film as an awful person or he wouldn't be asking this to happen, right? He wouldn't be doing this if he wasn't a terrible person. It was really the last 15 minutes of the movie where I was just like, uh, uh, you know, like this isn't doing it for me. I think personally, and the thing that I want to make clear about my own feelings here is that I don't think consuming one form of art over another is virtuous. And I feel like I say this every fucking episode at this point. Consuming a cheeseburger is not more virtuous than consuming a five Michelin star dinner, right? It doesn't make you a better person to eat one or the other. 
Um, I think that it's possible to to consume a cheeseburger and be more moved by the experience of eating a cheeseburger than to be than to be moved by eating a breadless bread plate, right? Um, the thing that gets me is there was a confluence in this movie of the inclusion of the critics, the the sort of like hoity-toity nature of the restaurant itself and also the um the people there and then the ending in which it is shown that the most virtuous character is the one who chooses and enjoys a cheeseburger is the one who gets to live made with like american cheese like the cheapest cheese you exactly can and there's nothing wrong with that kind of cheeseburger or anything it just feels like that in connection with everything else in the movie kind of made me go I really liked what you were doing here, but now I feel like you're making this broader commentary on what kind of art is virtuous. And like, yeah, there are lots of people who are pretentious, but like, just because somebody is pretentious, speaking for myself here, doesn't mean that they aren't actually passionate about what they're doing. I believe Nicholas Holt's character genuinely loved food, but I also believed he loved performing the love of food more than he loved the food itself. And that was his sin that needed to be punished, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean he didn't actually love food or what he was doing, because I got the impression that he did. He was just stupid. <laughs> yeah. He was just a horrible little man. Yeah. Um, There's like a belief, I think among like people who get upset at people i see this a lot with film in particular like i don't know what it is about film no books as well film and books the idea that like if you read classics you are somehow lording it over everybody else if you watch classic films it is somehow you judging other people some people do that to be sure like i don't want to say that nobody ever does that but for the most part it's not about you If I like to read Shakespeare and you like to read Percy Jackson or whatever, no shade to Percy Jackson. I've never read it. It's just like I just know it's an approachable middle grade series. If you like to read Percy Jackson, that's fine. It has nothing to do with me. It's also not more virtuous than what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is not more virtuous than what you're doing. But the ending of the movie, The Menu to me felt like it was assigning virtue to the consumption of what is seen as a lowbrow food over the highbrow food. I think I think that's a fair assessment. I would agree with that, especially since her job in pair yeah. with that. Um I definitely looked at it as two things like a critique on capitalism and the mm-hmm. way in which people use like get so out there that like you, they don't appreciate actually what's happening yeah and then also i saw it as a critique to the puzzle box kind of mm-hmm. way of like watching movies because like you figure out the puzzle box and the puzzle box you fucking die yeah yeah um, and i thought that was really interesting and and like the the clues or whatever were so like weird mm-hmm. um that that's how that's how it felt to me but i can i can totally see that being i think there's it's a really interesting movie. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I really liked it overall. Yeah. It, it's really the last 15 minutes where I was just kind of like, I feel like you're making a point here that I understand where it's coming from, but I feel like you might be hitting in the wrong direction. Like the problem is not, for example, fine dining, right? The problem to me is people who consume, who consume the right things, the quote unquote right things, as a marker of their own esteem. So if I only eat at five-star Michelin restaurants, that somehow makes me a better person than somebody who only eats a cheeseburger. 
And that's bullshit. Well, and I, I guess even too, so like he created his own, the chef created, his, he created this and making it be the, so much money to eat there. Right. And the fact that Aunt Anya Taylor-Joy's character is saved in the end by her choice of lowbrow food is what where that idea of like, it's not quite anti-intellectualism, but that idea of like, actually, it's virtuous to con- to consume something easily consumable. It's yeah, I I hate I really don't like to just like constantly shit talk the MCU because I really don't care that much about the MCU. But it's like when people get upset that like, you know, Spider-Man wasn't nominated for Best Picture and <laughs> some boring movie was. We'll we'll use the Banshees of Inisherin or something. Like, how could the Banshees of Inisherin, a boring movie about two white men, be nominated over uh Spider-Man whatever the most recent one was? I don't know. All of the, all the <laughs> Spider-Man, all of them at once. I can't fucking remember <laughs> what it's called. Um, like it's that kind of thing where it's just like, well, one was easier to consume and more people saw it and more people liked it. Therefore, it deserves the award. It is the virtuous thing versus Banshees of Inna Sharon, which is less accessible, less interesting and about two white men. Um, and I get it. Like I get where that argument comes from, but it's not the full picture. And, like, there is no virtue to which kind of art you consume, right? And the fact that she's saved in the end by choosing the easily consumable food. And it could be it could be argued, and I want to be clear about this, it could be argued that the point being made there is not she chose the easily consumable food, but that she chose the food made with love. I have also seen the argument <clears throat> that she does die as soon as she, she does die in the end. I think that's possible, but I don't have evidence for it. Yeah, I I didn't think that. I saw some people saying it that because she still ate it, she died. And at first, I was like, "Oh, this is she's gonna poison her or something." Mm-hmm. But I didn't think that she died at the end. I, for me, it was more a critique of capitalism and the way in which we've consumed things. Same same idea, but how it's become this like absolutely pretentious thing for just being pretentious mm-hmm. and you've forgotten to like experience enjoyment like, as performance rather than yes. enjoyment as enjoyment yeah so yeah. that's how that's how i saw it but i think that that's a really good point of like the consuming the lowbrow thing and but but for me that that line of do you have student loans mm-hmm. yes you die mm-hmm. really hits it home for me yeah who is he talking to there the assistant the assistant for john leguizamo okay so he kills her because she has student loans. He, she's like, I'm. She's like, I'm. A, I'm a normal person. Like, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Mm-hmm. Like, I. I shouldn't die either. And he goes, Did you go to school? Uh, she goes, Yes, I went to Brown. He, Do you have student loans? No, you die. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I thought she did have student loans. I got mm-hmm. confused. Um. Yeah, I think that all this stuff is baked into it, and that's why I would say about eighty five percent of the movie is really success- successful yeah. for me. If you change the ending. To some degree, I think I would like it more. Or if it was a little more emphasizing, if there was one person at that restaurant who genuinely enjoyed the food, I might feel differently about it. I think it. That, it, that it reinforces what you have to say, but the fact that she didn't eat anything else. Yeah. She did not eat anything else, I'm pretty sure at all. Like, it would be funny to me if he just made shit food and they all praised it because they knew they were expected to. But he, but he didn't. But he didn't. He made the most beautiful food that they could. Right. So it's an interesting movie. I think it has a lot to say. I know when it came out, people were um, either like, this is done or this is good. Or the people who loved it were like, do you really get it? And I think there's, I thought that when I watched it with my husband, I was like, for me, it's not hard 
to figure out what this movie is about. It's mm-hmm. about a lot of things. Yeah. But it's not hard. So the fact that people are out there being like, do you really understand it? Some of the yeah. things some of the things that it does are extremely clear and some of them are not. Yeah. So I, I really liked the movie. Yeah. But I can see where you're coming from for, with that. Um, I liked it. I liked it overall. I think it was good. I'd happily watch it again, yeah. even if just to see Nicholas Holt be a horrible little man for two hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, he was so good as a horrible little man. And I love him. <laughs> Um, it, it's just, and I think there's a lot to pun intended chew on that the movie leaves you with. And I think that that's really effective. It's just the, I get really frustrated with the anti-intellectualism thing because it encourages just an outright lack of curiosity in our culture. And I think lack of curiosity is maybe one of the worst things I can imagine. Like just the way that our- Like co- being complacent, like, or like, how- MCU, right? And being like, well, I understand this. This is easy. I don't need to like breach outside this. I'm not curious about anything else. That's part of it. But also just like we have a profound lack of curiosity in our society. And I find curiosity to be like one of the reasons for living. Why live in a world that you're not curious about? Like, why not experience new things? Why not try new things? Why not try things that are difficult? Like we only have one life to live. Why live it incuriously? Um, and that lack of curiosity, I think, is encouraged by how much of our media is increasingly, I'm sorry, I'm tinfoil hatting again, um, the increasing or rather decreasing diversity of media that we have with the same six companies controlling everything that we see and watch. And it's all created to be as digestible as possible. Like it's, it's really, we're getting soylent levels of, of entertainment. Like it's just. I have a controversial thing to say. Is it about so- Soylent and how you love it? Maybe. Um, I think, listen, I'm going to preface, preface this. Self-care is really important. Yes. It's really important to take care of yourself and recognize when you need a break. I think currently it's become so commercialized mm-hmm. that we forget that self-care also means cleaning your house. Yeah, yeah. Doing your taxes. Yeah. Um, it means doing those things. And I think that it's easy to say, and I've, I'm such a total, I totally do this. Well, this makes me happy and I don't want to do anything else outside that. Mm-hmm. And like, there are times when I need that, right? Right now is the time when I need that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's become really like commercialized and I think it's important to know it's being sold to us. Yeah. Um, this is, and there are people who are definitely not, right? But it's a huge thing right now, especially we all went through a pandemic and like self-care was really important during this mm-hmm. like isolating time. But I think that it's easy for people to say self-care and just do whatever they want. Self-care has, like most things, been co-opted by capitalism into now you must buy, 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 buy to care for yourself. That yeah. is self-care. Purchasing is self-care. And it's like, well, like it can be. I don't want to say that there is nothing good to come of, you know, buying yourself a little treat. God knows I love a little treat. <laughs> but um, it's no longer treat yourself. It's self-care. Yeah. Yeah. And like self-care is also me meditating. Yeah. Even though I don't want to. Or exercising, even though I don't want to. Taking a shower. Cleaning my house. Yeah. Those things are also self-care. And... 
I don't remember how we got here. I but we're on the we we're on the same people, page. People not wanting to push themselves, and oh, I think part of that yeah. is because there's this push on self care, which means just staying where you are because it feels com- for some people it feels comfortable, and mm-hmm. self care obviously is extremely important. Mm-hmm. But I think what's being pushed on us is consumer self care mm-hmm. of I need this bath bomb, yeah. I need this whatever, and I'm happy with that, and I don't need to push outside that. Right, and it's really easy to get stuck in that. Like I said, I've done it plenty of times. We all have. Yeah. This is, this is not us railing against people doing no. this. This is our own experience This is well. not, this is not, this is, this is more um, capitalism's fault. Yeah. And like the companies that are selling us this than, than us, right? Because we're being, no matter how, if you feel marketing works or doesn't, it does. Um, And you're being marketed too. And I just feel like that, that it's easy to fall back on this is self-care as a way to say, I don't want to push. Mm-hmm. So I, and I think that feeds into, I just want to watch MCU. Yeah. And then you, you can like MCU. MCU <laughs> is an extremely easy target. It is. It's, it's it, it is. This is the low, the low brow of this podcast is every time we take a shot at the, well, MCU. It, it's really easy and it, there's so much of it. And, um, it's not losing fans probably or money by us critiquing it no um if you like mcu i like mcu i like some of them too my husband adores almost all of them and i'm still married to him but (laughs) (laughs) but it's tenuous but he'll also watch the greasy strangler gross gross it was horrible don't watch that um so yeah i just think that that there's this push to be complacent where we where we're at instead of pushing ourselves and that is because also we've had years and years and years of work as hard as you can do hustle Mm -hmm. that like girl boss like push yourself push yourself push yourself yeah of course we get to the point where we take a break and we're like wow this feels good i Mm -hmm. don't want to be out of this um I'm going to tell you some other things after the podcast that's too controversial to Ooh. say on here. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah, no, I and I think that this movie, The Menu, just kind of, it leaned a little too hard in the end on that idea of like easily consumable is better, which is kind of ironic because the movie is all pretension. But I think it might be pretension in the in a sort of mocking way like the title cards and that kind of stuff i eat that shit up i love it um i'm not like i'm i was joking yesterday that i am a snob but like also i'm very um you know like whatever kind of fucking art you like it's not and i've said this before like unless it's racist or sexist yeah you know like i'm not out here advocating for fucking birth of a nation or whatever but like i as i've said many times i like sucker punch like who am i to fucking judge um well i like two-thirds of sucker punch the last act is really boring um but my point about the menu is that the mo- the menu is not a bad movie or anything. I actually I really liked it. I like obviously or I wouldn't have so fucking much to say about it. But um it did kind of lean in the end in an incurious maybe anti-intellectual direction that I found really annoying. It's not like it made it into a bad movie. It's just annoying because it's so pervasive. Like like the the attitude of like a certain type of book reader who's like, oh, people who read the classics are always shitting on me. Who are they? Are they in the room with us right now? <laughs> like, who are these people that give a shit about what you're reading? Because I guarantee you it's not the vast majority of people. The people who do do that are fucking annoying. 
much like the people in the menu. They're fucking annoying. These are annoying people. I had somebody in college who was really annoying and he hated Harry Potter because he thought that, um, and he hated, he specifically, he hated Harry Potter and people who read Harry Potter because he believed that nobody went beyond Harry Potter and just only read Harry Potter. It's really common. <laughs> it's really, really common. When that really got a lot of kids into reading. Yeah. Also, God, if you reread Harry Potter over and over again, that's boring. It is. I as mean, as much as you like it. Some people do, like some people really, that is like the only series they've ever read. And, that's a that's some incuriosity. <laughs> but the problem the problem there to me is incuriosity rather than, you know, Harry Potter itself. Harry Potter is full of problems, I'm sure you know. But like <laughs> we're using that as an example because it's a particularly um it's a particularly effective one. But overall, I really liked the menu. I thought it was super strongly acted. I loved the set designs. I thought it was really effective. It was just that ending where I was just kind of like, I get where you're going. And I think I can agree to a certain extent, but I wish you were clearer about the source of the virtue here because the source of the virtue could be the disingenuous enjoyment of pretentious food versus the legitimate enjoyment of unpretentious food. Or it could be that it is more virtuous to enjoy a lowbrow thing than to enjoy a highbrow thing. I will say, I think it's really interesting. This, I think this movie is one of the most open-ended without being open-ended movies. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, there are so many ways you can take, like, so many. And mm-hmm. I think that was impressive. Yeah. I really liked it overall. Yeah. I would recommend it. I, yeah. It's just like, you know, I don't. I don't know that I'm fully on board with it, and that's fine. I liked it. I'm super not on board with Sucker Punch, but I had a good time watching it, and I had a really good time watching the menu. So, yeah. I read Apple of My Eye by Ali Marie. Um, this was just on Kindle Unlimited and had a cute little cover, and it's, it was about a teacher who falls in love with another teacher. She's the grumpy one, and he's the sunshine one. And um, she, so it starts with it starts with him. He's a science teacher, and he's like that fun teacher who doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to make you do tests. Like literally, he doesn't give tests. He gets in trouble for that. Um, and he his he's teaching about the animal kingdom by breaking into her classroom and releasing a bunch of fake frogs that are on everyone. Um, and then being like, look how she responds. So, stuff like that. Like the teacher that makes science fun or whatever. And she's um she's that one teacher who uh that you loved so much. Um yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> she's the one who's like everybody sits quiet in her class. Everybody, you know, everybody reads the hard books is she an english teacher she's an english teacher. of course of yeah. course she's yes, an english yes. teacher she's an english teacher people who do, people who teach english are no fun whatsoever yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but she's also working on this extremely big um school grant that she had been working for a really long time and she needs to make a video for it and she knows nothing about making a video but he knows a lot because he also coaches baseball and um and as we all know, people who coach baseball <laughs> yes, are really yes, good yes, at making yes. videos. No, he makes uh, – th- they are middle school teachers, but he makes uh, real clip reels or highlight reels for uh, high school baseball players who are trying to get um, into schools. Mm-hmm. So he does that a lot. And he also harbors this one kid who has a troubled home um, that he relates to a lot. And um, it was cute and fun. I – it if I <laughs> – if I can find your grammar and spelling mistakes, you need an editor. Like, you need a better editor. I am bad at that. Bad. 
People can be like, look at this word. It's spelled wrong. I'm like, uh, is it? I'm bad. So if I'm catching it and like saying went to her house, but they went to his house and like like stuff like that, where I'm like, am I reading this correctly? But really, they said her when they're supposed to say him Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, It also was way too long. Way too long. It should have been 200 pages. (laughs) It was way too long. It also had the... (laughs) There's this one, like, I guess you could call it real life trope of um, people who are really attracted to when men take their baseball hats and turn them backwards. I'm not one of these people. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's a big I <laughs> love these things, though. Like, the little things that you find attractive. Yeah. So that's... Mine is if people play the bassoon. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to get you. I had to say it. Anyways, it's a big deal. <laughs> and he does it a lot in bassoon players. At yes. Me. Oh yeah. I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> um, he does it in the book multiple times and she's like immediately spreads her legs. Like, like it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So it was cute and stuff like that. Um I I, I enjoyed the story, but it was too long and it was it, it needed some. Mary, you need to help. tell me. You I confess bassoon players, you gotta give me one now. Things that are like weirdly attractive to you. Other examples. I asked this on Twitter once because I was thinking about it, and some other people said when they rub the back of their neck, like oh yeah, embarrassed. or um, tying your boots, looping your bootlaces around the back of your boot before tying them in the front. Laughs was also a big one. Just like a good laugh. I guess like picking something up and you can see their strong arms. Mm-hmm. Like strong arms is really good. Rolled up sleeves when they're doing the dishes. Yeah. Fanning myself. That's pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think like wearing a leather jacket, but I don't think that's weird. Gap tooth. <laughs> I don't know I if I have so a cute. lot of um, things like that. I guess when they can pull off the flat hat, Bill hat, mm-hmm. if they can pull it off but not look like douchey yeah i think that's pretty my husband wears them a lot so Mm -hmm. i guess that's why but when they can pull that off it's pretty good but there's Mm -hmm. there's nothing really else i'm no bassoons or anything (laughs) my husband did play a sousaphone Mm -hmm. so maybe that's the sousaphone is probably the sexiest it's huge (laughs) (laughs) it's huge you know if a guy plays the bassoon, he's or not the bassoon sorry you don't know that at all you you know if a guy plays a sousaphone he's strong yeah, so that's a that's a big boy. It's a big boy. Um, yeah, I don't really have any. <laughs> Would you any recommend other? this book? I wouldn't recommend this book. Bummer. Yeah, I wouldn't. I think that it's fun and easy to read, but I think there are other books that can give you exactly that and are better. Okay, so I I wouldn't recommend it. The the if I'm if I'm having I can get I can get over a lot of things and if I'm having a hard time getting over the spelling and the grammar yeah um I think it it was obviously it's a self published book on Kindle Unlimited um and um yeah it just th- there are other books that can give you the same thing and they're better quality I'm yeah. so sorry I hate I hate I am not a critic. And so I hate I hate giving people bad reviews. Like I hate unless they're terrible. I actually do too. Like I don't like, like to they be negative. worked on it so hard. Mm-hmm. They, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um. But overall, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It just I, I'm. I'm. I'll be. I haven't read a, a student or a teacher. Not a student teacher. No. Um. I haven't read a teacher teacher romance. Like I. I think this might be the first one I've read. But I would like to read more. But this wasn't it. That's not it. It was cute. 
It was fun. I liked how they handled the um, kid that he like um, takes under his wing and stuff like that. I thought that was really cute. And I thought it was really cute how she couldn't get through to this kid. So it starts starts with and like I thought this was I thought this was really effective. It starts with um, she is holding a paper that he had done and he's like doesn't do anything in class. He puts his hood up most of the time. He doesn't ask questions, nothing. And she's like, you plagiarize this. this. You plagiarize. Your eyes are capitalized. Essentially, it's done correctly. It's sourced correctly. There's no way you did this. They go to some meeting with all the teachers. She's like, he he plagiarizes. This sucks. And the science teacher gets pissed off. And he's like, aren't you, aren't you supposed to be happy when people actually do what it's supposed to be? And turns out it's because he helped the kid do things correctly and was like hey you need to capitalize your eyes hey this is how you source things and it wasn't that it was plagiarized it's that he had somebody help him who he trusted yeah and so that that kind of like sits really hard with with the english teacher of like like um why can't i get through to this kid and so when she does get through these little things she gets really happy and that was really cute Mm -hmm. um but overall i'm there are better ones that will give you the same the same feeling got you I read Hellbent, which is the second book. It's the <sighs> sequel to Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Um, the the series, if you don't remember, is about a girl named Alex Stern who can see ghosts, which are called greys in this universe. Um, and the first book, she gets recruited to Yale to be a member of Lethe, which is a secret society tasked with overseeing the many other secret societies at Yale and making sure that they don't do murders basically um naturally in the first book there is murders and they have to find out who who's doing them who's the murder and also her mentor uh who is supposed to be teaching her um showing her the ropes at yale whose name is um daniel arlington or darlington um goes missing before the events of the book and then you find out a lot about how he went missing and it was different than expected (laughs) um now i have to spoil I have to spoil Ninth House to talk about Hellbent. So fast forward if you don't want to hear anything about how Hellbent or how um, Ninth House, what happens in Ninth House. I'll give you a second. So in Hellbent, it takes place a few months after um, after Ninth House. And you find out, well, you found out in the last book that Alex is something called a wheel walker, which we don't know 100% what that is yet, but it has something to do with her connection with the greys. Um, and also they found out that Daniel or Darlington is not dead. Um, they thought he was probably dead because he was in hell. He's a demon. Um, at the beginning of this book, some things happen. This is a mild spoiler for Hellbent. Um, they bring Darlington back to the earthly plane. He is, uh, half a demon. He's a demon looking dude, but Dan, but Darlington is there too. Um, and in this book, it is some people start going, a <laughs> couple murders happen. We got to figure out who's doing these murders and why. Go figure. Like, it's just, it's pretty typical. Um, it does not turn out how you'd expect. There were a couple things. There were a couple things I didn't like about this book at first glance. There, there was a part of it that felt so much like the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> I needed it to calm down. Um, but then it was later revealed that that feeling like the di- the Da Vinci Code was really intentional. Hmm. Um, and then there was another there's so, I won't spoil this. There's another element to the story that I was like, this feels out of place to me. But they did it in kind of a refreshing way. So I don't want to be too hard on it for that. 
overall, I really, really, really enjoyed this book. I didn't like it as much as the first. I didn't find it quite so engrossing, potentially because of the Da Vinci Code feeling stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a great time reading it. Like the again, the word fun may communicate to some people things that I don't mean. This is a dark series. Like a lot of dark stuff <laughs> happens in this book. Um, it's it's dark look at the cover yeah it's dark it's a dark fucking book people get murdered people get sexually assaulted like it's not uplifting in the sense of fun but i have a fucking blast reading this series because i'm a little freak and i like to read about people who say things we all like we all have hollow places i like to i love that shit i eat it up with a spoon like it's a little ice cream sundae for me and i had a great time with I have a great time with characters who are convinced of their own moral uh, moral bankruptcy, nonetheless choosing to do the right thing anyway. Uh, that's like my that's my shit right there. Um, so I have a great time with this series. I will say also that I was not sold on Darlington in book one. I just felt like really I was like, he's not bad, but I don't love him. I love him now. I am in love with him. Call me. I'm free on Thursday, Darlington. Um, anyway. I really liked Hellbent. I had a great time reading it. I do recommend it. If you like the first one, you'll probably like the second one. Some people didn't like aspects of it. I will warn you, it is not the last book. I thought this was going to be another two-part series. It is not. It ends on another cliffhanger. So, Hmm. you know. Um, But yeah, I really liked it. Nice. Um, The last thing I have is Bloodfest. (laughs) Mary's always watching things with the wildest titles. Well, my husband really likes horror um, which if you listen to this podcast, you probably know. And he often likes to watch, like, we have Shudder. And so sometimes that means we watch low-budget horror movies. And mm-hmm. sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. This one's sat in the middle. Um, this is about... So it starts with a, a kid a family who witnessed the death of their mother from a serial killer. And then it jumps forward to when they're teenagers. The dad is, like, on a mission, who is played by Jimmy Cooper... It's on a mission to end horror movies, essentially, <laughs> saying that these movies are what caused someone to kill his wife. Mm-hmm. He's like a professor or whatever. Just the, the wildest thing, right? The Jack Thompson of horror movies. He's just, she's just, he's just wild. And his son loves horror, absolutely adores it, and wants to go to this thing called Bloodfest, which is a big, huge, huge, like, festival um and where there are different like sections of like different types of horse so they have like vampire they have zombies which i would like to say they were very very adamant that zombies don't run <laughs> like there's there's like they're saying in it like like one one of the things is that you find out like there are kids playing video games that are actually controlling these zombies through, I don't know, some pseudoscience. And the guy's like, why is it so slow? And he's like, cause he's a zombie. <laughs> um, and then they have like creepy house. They have some other stuff. And, um, but the whole, what they find out is that they're there for is to create a, a horror movie. They're all in a horror movie. And unfortunately the horror movie is that they actually die and everyone's supposed to die at the end. Um, wild spoilers. Um, the person who started Hellfest and want to kill everybody was Jimmy Cooper. Oh my god! Yeah, all he well, and he gathered all the people who love horror and wanted to kill them all. Okay, in his giant tower. Um, it was weird. It had the the kid from Spider Man, Spider Man's best friend, mm-hmm. not Zendaya. Um, he was in it, and Jimmy Cooper was in it, and the voice of Asami 
wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, if you like cheesy horror movies, I... If you, especially if you like cheesy horror movies or horror in general, it has a lot of like nostalgia. Like, oh, like you like horror movies, we like horror movies too. We're making this for horror movie fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband and I had a good time watching it. We stayed awake <laughs> the whole time. It was fun. It was absolutely ridiculous. There's, um, it was just, it was just totally ridiculous. And in the uh, uh, Zachary Levi's in it. Um, which kind of sucked because it was like the day after it came out that Zachary Levi is a terrible person. Yeah. But what I did like, there's one girl who went who didn't like horror. She just wanted to get in because she was trying to be an actress or something like that. And she's like, oh my God, Zachary Levi, you're Flynn from Tangled. And I was, I did the same thing. I thought that was funny. But, and then it can't, you know, Zachary Levi is a anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist. So that sucks. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun movie. Uh, it was really funny to see old Jimmy Cooper. Um, still looking good, I guess. And, um, it was a wild time and I enjoyed it. Nice. Um, the last thing I did was I watched Mary and the Witch's Flower, which is an anime film um, from the production company of a former Studio Ghibli producer. Uh, so it looks like a Studio Ghibli movie, like visually, like it doesn't just look like anime. It looks like a Studio Ghibli movie. Um, and it is about a girl named Mary Hello. who does a podcast called Fake Geek Girls with her friend Missy. That's not true. It's about a girl named Mary who finds a flower called Fly by Night that allows her, that gives her magical powers. Essentially, she becomes a witch and she ends up finding a broom and the broom kind of carries her up into the sky where there is a little school for witches. And um, they want her at the school to go find more of this flower for reasons that she doesn't understand. But while she's there, she sees that they are taking animals from the forest and doing something to them. (laughs) She doesn't know exactly what it is, Um, but she kind of gets bad vibes uh, and she doesn't want to do anything. Like she doesn't necessarily want to do anything more with them until she finds out that a boy from the town that she lives in, that she's moved there fairly recently. um, She finds out that he has gone missing and she suspects that they have taken him. So it's this cute little adventure um, about a little witch or a little temporary witch um, saving the day. It was so it was so beautifully animated. Like it was a gorgeous movie. It's so pretty and um, just like absolutely stunning to look at. Um, so yeah, it was it was gorgeous. The story was okay. Um, it wasn't bad by any sense. It was really imaginative and it really gave you that like that. I don't know how to describe it. There's probably a word for this, but you know, when you I, again, I hate to invoke Harry Potter because <laughs> Harry Potter, but like, you know, that feeling of reading Harry Potter where it's just like your mind opens to this like exciting world that's totally new to you. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It It hits that. I think it's really effective at doing that. Um, I, I think it's just common with portal fantasies where all of a sudden you're or, or portal fantasy adjacent where all of a sudden you have this new possibility for a world that you didn't know existed. And that's very exciting. I think it hits that really neatly. Um, and so that part was really effective. It wasn't as emotionally like deep as a lot of Studio Ghibli movies. It's not a Studio Ghibli movie to be clear, but it looks like a Studio Ghibli movie, so like people are going to want to compare them. 
it's not as emotionally deep as like the best Studio Ghibli movies. It's not Spirited Away. It's not Princess Mononoke. It's not um, Nausicaa, right? If I were to draw comparisons, maybe a bit more in the vein of The Secret World of Arietti. It's not bad. Mm. And it's beautiful and it's lovely to watch and it's a good movie. It's just not, it doesn't hit as hard as some of the others, you know, but it's gorgeous. If you want to watch just like a fun, exciting um, little witch movie, Mary and the Witch's Flower, it's great. There you go. Um, And that's it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes. Um, You can listen to more about the menu if you go one, what Hmm. we've been up to back. Uh, thank you to Emily June for helping with the tr- with the episode transcriptions. I know how to speak. Um, if you like this, consider supporting us on Patreon, where for a small donation per episodes, you can get cool rewards like bonus material. Oh, I have some I need to put up. Um, for $5, you can get Spicy Book Club. I have one of those edited. It's going up soon, I swear. Um, and you could get mail from us you can vote on what we're going to be doing next all of that kind of stuff is available for patrons next time we're going to be doing letter kenny just about done with letter kenny um and then after letter kenny we're going to be doing his dark materials the final golden compass or sorry the amber spyglass which is the last book in the series the main series and then also the final season of his dark materials the show and i'm so fucking excited um and then after that, the current poll is leaning toward Magic Mike XXL. Finally, <laughs> my time has come. I can't wait. You have to watch the first one. Do we have to watch the first one or can we just talk about Magic Mike XXL? I, I don't care. I think we should just... I truly don't care. We should just talk about Magic Mike okay. XXL. There is enough to talk about in Magic Mike XXL that we do not have to talk about the first Perfect. movie at all. Especially because the Magic Mike XXL basically says, fuck that first movie. Okay. This hasn't fuck all to do with that. It's the same characters, but like... You know, that might be right in time. I think the movie's out or it came out. We could t- we could watch the new one. Okay. Was it Magic Mike's Last Dance or something, something like, like that. that? Whatever. I'm jazzed. I'm ready for it. Um, and that's it. All right. Catch you on the flip side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.